Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to our Richmond audience joining us for the next three hours on AM 910 FM 1051. One hour from now, we're giving away tickets, a pair to go see Nate Bargatze at Capital One Arena. That's at four o'clock ahead of the Beltway Blitz. But as we welcome you back on Grant and Danny, told you we wanted to let you hear this conversation with Will Compton. We got so busy with live guests last week that we were never able to play it on the show. But I caught up with him out in Vegas, the Super Bowl. He started as an undrafted free agent in D.C., ended up becoming a fan favorite, a starting linebacker, and is now a media superstar, nationally renowned for his work on Barstool Sports. But began the conversation reminiscing about, after he was undrafted, sitting in the middle of the locker room at lockers that were set up for a week or two at a time because he probably wasn't going to make the team. You were at a metal locker. As an undrafted free agent yeah. in the middle of the Washington locker room. And I was like, oh, this dude from Nebraska had a good practice. He may not make the team, but let me say what's up to this guy. Yeah, Things have uh, gone very well for you. What's up, man? Not much. I love – yeah, I forgot about that. The the peace – well, before even making practice squad, we had our little Section 8 housing, we like to call it, where you had the metal lockers for all the guys who weren't the guys, and you kind of had to earn your way onto the team. That's who, such a tell, by the way. Like – Baseball, to me, you get one of those numbers. You're like 93 in spring training, and it's purposefully disrespectful in a way. Right. Because they don't want you to feel comfortable. In that case, I understand in the NFL, there's only so many lockers to go around. But when you're a metal locker guy, like, there's got to be some type. You're just walking around the facility, and you're a metal locker guy. You're a metal locker guy, and not only that, I was number 46. Who else wore number 46? Pro Bowler Alfred Morris. That'll do it, yeah. So already the thought process was – I have absolutely no shot at making this team. But, hey, man, God willing, a lot of good stuff, right place, right time, opportunities. I uh, was able to be on the practice squad for that first year and then carved out a really good four years that I finally look back on. Wish they would have been better uh, with the squad, the team as a whole, but, man, I miss those days. Yeah, first year you end up getting into a game. The next year you start a handful of games. And then those final two years, you're basically a full-time starter. So it was like a staircase. Yeah. You, you got to make the squad. Then you make it on special teams onto the field. Now you're playing a little defense. Next, By the time you're leaving, you're a starting linebacker. That undrafted free agent to starting status, a lot of guys have carved it out, but it's very, very difficult to do. What's the hardest part of that journey, you think? I think patience. I think, you know, there's a lot of, like, those mental trying times. Like, at the end of the day, yeah, we're playing a kid's game. We're playing our favorite sport. But when you're playing uh, in a profession where everything you do and every movement you make is not only graded and judged, but there's also a box you're subconsciously placed in no matter what. So, for my instance, it's like, you know, the upside, the ceiling's not very high. He gets as much as he can out of a ceiling, overachiever, all these things, no matter what. 
which I was fine with. That's how I made my career. That's how I made my hay. That's how I've been able to transition with busting with the boys. But during like those times, it was just, it was a lot of patience, man. Like I had to, I had to game plan our offense and OTAs and I would game plan in training camp. Bo Pelini did such a great job in that defensive staff in Nebraska, having us prepared every game for tendency oriented stuff on offense. So that way you can be in a, not be like in an OC's mind, but being a D coordinator's mind. Okay. They're an 11 personnel. If they're holding up this personnel, we're only going to get these calls. You're only going to get these formations. Once they break the huddle and give you one of those few formations, they're only going to have a couple tendencies in the run game and a pass game based on, uh, down and distance, right? It's all of these little situations games so like living into that like situational master's degree was what I always tried to do so whenever something would happen if Keenan or Perry would get injured and then I get my opportunity uh I would be prepared to take advantage of those that's how I got more reps in practice I would get three to six reps a day at practice because you I'd be with the threes and you rotate every other period so you know, I, I would get those few reps. I would take advantage. I had to do rookie minicamp twice. When I did it the second time around, We, the only linebacker we drafted in that class was Trent Murphy. He's a pass rusher. So inside-wise, there was nobody drafted to focus on. So Kirk Olivadotti comes in, and I'm getting more hands-on work with KO and Hazlitt to where they pull me to the side like, yeah, you know you can make this team, right? I was like, I yeah, I do. Yeah, I feel like if you know if more opportunities, I like where are you at on special teams? I'm like, I'm last on special teams depth chart. Next day, I come in, I'm first on every special teams depth chart because the defensive coaches are saying like, hey, he's gonna they back have a up. meeting, and they're like, we think this guy can make it. Start working with him on start, teams. yeah, start working okay. with him on teams because I wasn't the best teams player. I didn't play it in college. Adam Hayward, he comes in. Logan Paulson was somebody who really helped me in my growth. Reed Dowdy, but Adam Hayward comes in and really helps me develop. So I as always a special think of teamer. teams. Will Compton is with us, busting with the boys. I think of teams as like if you played college linebacker, you're good on teams because you just run down and hit someone. Right. It's more than that. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. The, there's a little bit more than that. I would say I'm so much of a neck up guy that sometimes the whole paralysis by analysis would get me every now and then. So that was kind of like the where I had to bridge that gap on teams and just kind of understand what happens like while a special teams play is taking place. And Adam Hayward did such a great job coaching me up to where that's how I kind of made the team. As long as I was established on teams, Has, Has was like, hey, you're going to back up both spots so you got to be prepared for both if one of them goes down it's not you're the mic or you're the mo you're going in or the jack at the time you're going in at either one so i was the first guy off the bench anytime perry or keenan got hurt i'd go in take advantage of those opportunities and then the next year really set me up to kind of fight for that starting job for those next couple years what do you make and this is not everywhere in the nfl but there are a lot of teams like this and washington the last couple years was heavy on this the devaluing of the linebacker position where you're running a lot more nickel. A lot of teams are running right. two linebackers. Washington drafted Jamin Davis in the first round, kicked him outside, and then it was just kind of cheap, couple of million-dollar-a-year players they'd bring in, and that guy, whether it was uh, Cody Barton or somebody else, would just play a ton. But they really didn't Boston. value the linebacker position, right? They might sign a guy two weeks before camp, bring him in, and they'd get a lot of run. The teams that are here right now, you look at Warner, who's unbelievable, gay for Kansas City. It does seem like Baltimore – there are a lot of teams that still put a priority on it, though. Yeah, I think, you know, there's 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 going to be the players in every market at every position group that's going to make the majority of the money, right? But I think, like, what teams fail to miss at times is understanding how pivotal that inside spot is if there's a 
culture and a communication that goes on around that guy because you're in the middle of the defense. Yeah, you want a great safety who can do all that stuff too. But again, they're on the back end. They're worried about the secondary. you got guys who communicate with the D-line who understand all the stunts, all the gaps, how to play off each other, how to talk in meetings with each other. So I feel like that value gets lost a little bit because, again, the market's going to kind of dictate what your value is. However, I feel like I feel like people that understand like how important it is for somebody that rocks the green dot, that communicates where everybody jives around, where level play gets elevated, whether or not he's the best talented guy, I feel like that gets missed at times when it comes to the linebacker position. Will Compton's with us. We're busting with the boys. I want to talk about the media transition you made, and you've been crushing it uh, on not only social but everywhere you guys broadcast. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch and, and see how you're doing. Um, specific to Washington's changes, yeah, I know you still track them from afar. You never crossed paths with Dan Quinn. Uh, do you know him at all? Why does everyone in football love that guy? So I, I've never crossed paths with him in particular, but when he was with the Atlanta Falcons and Shanahan was the OC, LaFleur was on that staff, Nick Williams, who was in my class as a rookie, scrappy, all the intangible slot receiver for Washington high for motor. a minute, high motor guy, <laughs> yeah. first in but he was with Atlanta. LaFleur and Shanahan get him to Atlanta. So he's in Atlanta. So anytime I talked with Nick, you know, he was part of that uh, that squad, that, that 23, 28-3 loss, whatever. But he, they just – he talked so highly about Coach uh, DQ, about the culture. It's really Pete Carroll-esque. And um, he talked really highly about it, like how – Better it is for your mental. Better it is for every, like, all the stuff that goes on. Like, guys just jive with, you don't walk in like there's a cloud over you when you come in. Like, you got all the fun stuff that happens. It's like AP, Antonio Pierce, he just got hired with the uh, Raiders. Basketball going locker room. Like, some of the fun stuff that guys just, you get their best when they walk in the room. I know that he brings that to the culture. And I think he's also a good hire because he knows how to beat the Eagles. And he was behind enemy lines True. with the star. So now he's coming to Washington to lead that up. And he's bringing his top defensive lieutenant from Dallas. Yes. So they lost him and the guy they were going to replace him with. Right, right. And, you know, Dallas has always had a good running. I know he was a new OC after Kellen left, Kellen Moore left. But, yeah, man, I, I think he's a good fit. I think he's a good hire, especially with this new ownership. It's kind of like the first go at the entire new regime at their first shot at their head coach. But I'm obviously – I've come back into the fold of really, like, wanting to root for the boys. So – Cliff Kingsbury, again, another guy I don't think you ever crossed paths with on a staff, but you played against his offenses, I'm sure, at different points. Mm -hmm. The numbers are not great, but everyone seems to conceptually like the idea of Cliff Kingsbury and what he does. What do you remember about playing some of his offenses? Uh, Was he an OC in the NFL? No, so he was head coach Arizona for the four years, and he called – you know, their plays with Kyler. Okay, basically. okay. So I, I, I think there is like a, a separation in a, a head coach and an OC, whether or not you're the play caller. Arthur Smith is another great example. People are kind of like, oh, he was bad. Why would the Steelers hire him? But man, he took a, a tenth. You know, he was number 10. He was top 10 two years in a row with the Titans. Like when they started off two and four and made that run with Mariota at first, and then he had to make a tough decision to go with Tannehill. They end up 10th tenth, uh, in the league in offense, another high number with points. The next year, they're like the number four. They're like number two at points, number four in total yards. So just the growth there with Tannehill as he was the mainstay. If you look at Atlanta, you look at the quarterback situation he had, I'm using him as an example of knowing like him as an O.C., He's a great OC. Cliff, he, I guess he doesn't have the experience yet as an OC in the NFL, but I know he had that that whole stick uh, uh, in college football, like understanding quarterbacks. I think it depends on the quarterback who he has because you want to play to their strengths. And if you follow the Arizona Cardinals over the last, you know, the years that he was there, you know, I was tight with Colt. Colt was there. And uh, there's just a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that it just makes it hard 
if it just can't be yours, if there's power struggles, if it's a player's in with the ownership versus a player being in with the head coach. Like, There's a lot of factors. I think Cliff, the way the league is trending on a surface level of getting younger and hotter, he fits the bill. But also from a play caller standpoint, I think he is that offensive mind. He's worked with a lot of varieties of quarterbacks in Mahomes, Kyler Murray, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, uh, Johnny Manziel. So I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be a good fit. Speaking of weird things that can happen, you know, between staffs and ownership and coaching, Will Compton is with us. You were jumping in on the the Robert Griffin Jay Gruden beef yeah. a couple weeks ago. I mean, you you were front and center for a lot of that. They ended up, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say patching it up, but just deciding to go in their separate ways. But that got real for a little while. Yeah, I was uh, I was trying to get Jay on the next week. I was like, hey, bro, let me uh. We'll fly to Nashville. He was about it, but I, he had some golf tournament. And I was like, oh. But, um, yeah, I saw that happen. Now, because I saw B, B. Mitch jumped in on it as well. But if you see the initial tweet of Jay Gruden, if you know Jay Gruden, he's a funny, charismatic guy. Like, yeah, he had his failures in Washington. He's had his ups and downs. Um, but if you're, like, following his timeline and personality on social media, all he was saying, he was having light of the situation, how poorly the Eagles were protecting Jalen Hurts. If there's a quarterback out there, I apologize. Just being his funny self. It's doing, it's, zero it's direction. Bit, yeah. yeah, it's a bit. It's like, you know, it, yeah. And you see RG take the opportunity to kind of dunk on him. RG Theory's got such a massive following. It kind of plays into the, the you got the ratio culture. You got this. You got that. You see Jay chime in. You weren't prepared, Robert. And then Robert comes in saying, you know, saying like you said, you did, you know, you didn't know how to work with the skill of a quarterback who can run and pass. And I'm thinking in my brain, yeah, coaches tell you anything whenever they're demoting you. Like whenever they're talking about, hey, Zach Brown and Mason's going to play like, hey, you had a hell of a camp, one of the best camps we've ever seen. We're just going to go this route. You're better than these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They just make more money. Yeah, guys. yeah. We just want to make the dumb decision <laughs> of playing these guys over you. But like, you just have that whole back and forth, right? And then Jay does the go chase it, go race a pigeon. And Jay, I would assume he wants to get back into coaching. So he's kind of, hey, I hope you're well, kind of falls back, kind of falls out of it. I wanted to kind immerse myself because i was in the uh the, like rg goes on his podcast yeah, never to talk heard about, about it anymore. that meeting he talks about the team meeting i was there in the team meeting i kind of understand the perspectives of uh, kind of the both sides of where they could like where robert can get to in his mind why he thinks it went down that way and then the whole jay thing pushing back like man this could this is this is some missed history that people don't know about it's kind of they're kind of making it relevant again so let me chime in do the walk in the pantry and have some fun with it well, as you can imagine in dc like that kind of stuff is it's just fast food out the window yeah i mean people because they you know fans are on the outside but they want to know what went on how did it happen and years later it's still relevant uh, Will Compton is with us. How did Mike Rabel get shut out in this coaching cycle, do you think? I, I don't is know. Is he as good a coach as we think he is? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got all this stuff. There's obviously the, uh, the viral article going around about him being too too alpha to be in the building. Like, do you the, buy the that? There was decisions. a report yesterday. It might have been Racine. said, like, that someone at the Senior Bowl told her when owner sits down, he's, like, too big and intimidating. I've never heard of anything like that. He's got that per- He's got that presence. But, yeah, I've never heard of nothing like that. I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to talk business. If you want to take a head coaching job, maybe there's some cr- control elements that you want that might not work out on the other side. It's just all based on what the teams want, what the ownership, what their interests are. Uh, you know, all the negotiation goes down. But I think, Brave, you know the best job in America is being a fired head coach. You get this massive buyout. Uh, and I'm not saying that Brave's just sitting on that, but you have time to go hit a vacation, not think too hard about it, let the world blow up externally, knowing that, A, the fact that they fired Coach Vrabel with all the success that he had and knowing that how he 
builds that culture, I think everybody knows, like, okay, let's see the direction they want to go. But that is – it's a miss, right? Um, so Vrabe, to me, I think he's got options out there, but he gets to kind of sit back, pick his best situation. You know, again, he's got – He's got money. He's been a player 14 years in the league, fast track to a head coach, so I, he's going to be just fine. All right, so I got two left, one football, and then I want to talk busting with the boys with you real quick. Uh, the, the last football question, tell me where I'm wrong. I am such a higher offense-only guy. Like this leader of men, Vrabel will you know give you the great speech. Like th- There aren't really examples of like the leader of men defensive coach over several years in this era having much success. Mm-hmm. Right now it's Kyle, it's Matt, it's – Call plays, be an offensive savant. Like, as a player, do you like the, the leader of men, speech-giving, culture-building, like Dan Quinn thing? Or if you just know Mike McDaniel's nerdy, but he's in front of the room and he's going to draw up plays to score points, do you care if he doesn't give a great speech and he's quirky? Like, give me a player mindset on that. I think both can be true, right? Like, it's not – head coaches get all the praise and everything else, but there's a reason – that Coach Glenn and Coach uh, Johnson are both interviewing for same head coaching jobs from the Lions. Like, you know, people talk about, oh, Dan Dan Campbell, he's not really in tune with the exit of He's more leadership. But it's like it's all truly what the team needs. Like, if you're somebody who – let's go the nerdy route of Coach uh, McDaniel down in Miami. If you have the right coordinators and the right guys surrounding you, then that, then that's how you're building out your team Meaning and building for him, out your that culture. That might be the alphas that are yelling it, right? Yeah, like okay. you know, we, I, I, you know, I had the opportunity to play for Coach Rich Pisaccia. Like he was the interim head coach, but even before that, like Jay, like he's an offensive-minded guy, right? But you knew when Coach Pisaccia is talking, when it comes to leadership and the voice, you got a guy like that. Then you're taking care of that box because that is important. But it is the trend, which I do agree with, is. You want the stability because at the end of the day, the most important position is your quarterback spot, and you would almost rather have that offensive mind with him. And if not, pair an OC with him that has stability to where, hey, they might not leave for a head coaching job in a few years. Um, I think you've seen that example. I mean, uh, the Titans just picked up uh, Coach Callahan, right? He was with Joe B for five years. I was like, oh, how do we feel about the Callahan hire? It's like, it seems like a good hire. Like, he was with Joe B and establishing that offense. And if you want to build around Will Levis, pair an offensive mind with him that's had success, and he has. Bring your dad. Build out the O-line. Do all the things culture-wise. But pair that stability because, you know, now he's a head coach, so he's going to be here a while because in his personal journey, he's now at the top getting a head coaching job. You can see why Will was one of my favorite players to talk to when he was in Washington with the then Redskins, now the Commanders, and we'll see what they are the next time yeah. we're talking. They could be changing the name again. All right, I do want to ask you about Bustling with the Boys because I check you guys out, follow you. You get incredible guests, super plugged in with all things NFL, uh, you and Taylor and your crew. So I guess let's finish it here. I mean, it's a rocket ship for you from a media standpoint. Like, did you? How did this come about, and at what point did you realize you guys weren't just – a couple dudes doing a podcast. There's a lot of those out there, players and otherwise. This was going somewhere. Yeah, man. I you know. I know when we first started with the idea, you know, I had been journaling down interests and everything else. And, you know, when you're in the league, I think I was going into year seven, six, seven, one of those. But when you're in the league, I always joke, like, your jokes are funny, you're better looking, and you can shake more hands. So you need to take advantage of whatever your interests are while you're playing because once you get on the other side, it's a different vibe. 
whether or not true skill, whatever, it's just a different vibe. It just is what it is. And so I had ambitions of like doing a, a, a player podcast, like all this stuff that you get to talk in the locker room, saunas, the fun, the banter, Ryan Kerrigan, all this and that. Like, man, how do you get that behind the mic? And Taylor, we hit it off really well with my year in Tennessee. And we took a shot at this podcast, and it's like one of those phrases, jump when you can afford to drown. I felt like I had a good enough resume, although I didn't get to start, and I was a backup and special teams guy on that one year in Tennessee. But I felt like I had a resume to where it's like, dude, at the end of the day, any coach who's going to bring me in, I'm sure a coach is at that team and already knows me and knows what they're getting because there's only so much more I can chase. Like, my ceiling isn't going anywhere. I'm already labeled. It is what it fucking is. Oh, sorry. Sorry for uh, the curse. We got We're taping. It good. is what it is. We got a beep. Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. And so understanding that, it was like, let me jump at this, knowing that if I play myself out of the league, I know I'm trying to do something I'm interested in. And we hit it off, and we had a couple viral moments with Jalen Ramsey talking noise about how he would DM receivers in college. And then Mike Vrabel talks about how he'd cut his piece off for a Super Bowl. Barstool wants to communicate with us. And then we realized, like, oh, man, we kind of have something. I was consulting with McAfee. He was kind of mentoring me, saying, hey, if you're going to do it, because Taylor and I wasn't going to do it in season. He's like, hey, if you're going to do it, do it every week. Like, you got to treat the Internet. you got to treat the show like everyone is a singular friend. you got to show up for them all the time. And so that's when we started backlogging episodes, trying to show up once a week. And we hit our deal with Barstool. We've been with them ever since. And, man, slowly but surely, we've just found new lanes and new avenues as I've kind of juggled football and podcasting now, full-time in podcasting. Tori, just you figure it out along the way, throw stuff at the wall, see what works, what doesn't. We have the access and the network to sit with players and kind of get some personality and some stories that they might not share in the locker room in real time after a bad bad practice or they don't want coach to see what they're saying if their mind's not on the game or whatnot so you know taylor we've done a good job of of getting in those lanes and we've we've had a lot of success no congrats man it's been amazing it's cool to watch thank you and uh proud of you man and making uh making all the dc fans that watch you we thought the glow up was a metal locker to playing on the field, but now media star on Radio Row. Will, I appreciate you. Grant, thank you, man. It was a pleasure. Good Thanks for having me up. on. Will Compton on Grant and Danny. One of the coaches on the staff when he was here, Kyle Shanahan just coached in and lost in the Super Bowl. Did he inform his players about the overtime rules before OT? He answered that question yesterday. Want to get into that next on the fan? Good catching up with Will Compton in Vegas at the Super Bowl. Grant and Danny on the fan. Before we get into Kyle Shanahan and what he told his team about overtime, his reaction to the idea that they were not prepared for overtime, uh, real quick update on Masson. There is a report that Masson and Comcast's deal expires at the end of this month. That's before the start of the Major League Baseball season. Meaning, yet another avenue for people in this area to watch TV, their cable provider, wouldn't have Masson if they don't strike a new deal. We're already down to like four. Mm-hmm. You got to have Comcast, Cox, Fios, DirecTV, one of those basically. But another hit to that, I mean, it just, the hits keep on coming. Yes, man. they do. Yes, they do. You can't stream Masson. You can't watch it. You know, with one of the apps on your smart TV, essentially. 
I don't know what people are supposed to do if we keep dropping like flies with the providers that Masson is with. No fan base has had more hurdles than Washington trying to get started, right? I mean, you think back to you couldn't get the games on television for the first couple years of their uh, inception before everybody kind of found a home. The whole thing was such a, it has been such an embarrassment, such a, uh, a you know, third-world-type version of, uh, the, of television broadcast and what it's supposed to look like. It's not even there. It's not even close. I actually am rooting for this, believe it or not. The only chance is if all of this, and I'm just sort of waving my hand at all things Masson, gets so bad, gets so terrible, that there's no choice for anybody. Like, there's, there's, it's no longer worth the squeeze for the Orioles to play hardball and go, all right, we're getting screwed by this thing, too. We, we, the Angelos has had it, had it in for the learners, and we're getting it over on them, and we'll stick it to them no matter what, and we'll do that forever. I'm just hoping it gets so bad that everybody kind of has to come to the table and go, okay, we recognize this isn't working for anybody. We have to do something else. Maybe let's do something that fits the 21st century so that customers, and this is crazy, can see our product. Yeah, I'm not rooting for the demise and or it to get worse. This is like my, sorry to interrupt you, this is like my college football playoff thing where I root for chaos every year until they get a good system and we finally got one. I'm rooting for improvement and availability of and access to the product. That's what I'm rooting for. By the way, speaking of Masson, I tweeted this yesterday. I think some other people have this now as well. Do you realize that the Nats spring training games are going to be televised this spring, which... That's a good thing. We haven't had those in the past. Yeah, remember they did like two games last right. year or something? So they're doing a lot more games, and they put that out, and that was a big thing, so that's cool. The broadcasters, I've been told, are going to be at the warehouse yep. in Baltimore on Utah Street at Camden Yards. They're going to be out behind the right field wall at the warehouse calling Nats Mets from Port St. Lucie, you know, or, or Nats Cardinals from Jupiter or whatever. They're playing Boston today. It's a 1 o'clock game in Fort Myers. I'm Bob Carpenter, and I'm looking at the foul pole at Camden Yards. They're not sending their broadcast crew to spring training. Neither are the Orioles, by the way. Neither crew's going. That's COVID time stuff. Like, yeah. I, I know that they're not the first network to do that, and I know that uh, there are other teams that will probably have some games called exhibition-style spring training games from their home ballparks. But, God, that's just a kick in the shins. As someone who is a nerd when it comes to broadcasts and play-by-play stuff, I know most people don't care as much as I do, but I, just do things the right way. Yes. You know, you're you're a network, man. Like, give us something to be prideful of. Please, take it seriously. It just feels so nickel and dime. It feels Bush League. It feels, you know, college summer league right? Where, you know, the... Uh, you know, the, the I don't know, the, the Richmond Spiders are taking on the Davidson Wildcats, and we're going to do a, a, a internet broadcast, but the guys are going to be in the gym. You know what I mean? That's what it feels like. It's not supposed to be this way. I promise you. I have lived in other places. I have seen what it looks like. Every time you turn on that channel, there's something going on that has to do with the organization, with the teams, right? Whether it's magazine shows, whether it's previews, whether it's uh, you know people talking about the team, broadcasters in training, everybody's part of the roster. And it's this big sort of constant self-feeding machine that goes both, you know, satiating the fan bases, ever-growing interest in the organization, getting to know the players, but also it, it serves as a great advertisement bulletin board for the teams. You're not growing the fan base this way, and everybody sees that. I know the Nationals see it from the perspective. they got to be pulling their hair out at, that they're still stuck with whatever this horse crap is this long into their uh, uh, their existence. But, man, is it frustrating every time a new one smacks you in the face. Well, and I think that's an important uh, 
distinction too. The Nationals aren't saying, hey, we shouldn't travel the broadcasters to spring training. They want people there. I mean, I had someone from their PR department hit me up a month ago and was like, hey, any chance you guys are coming down to spring training with you know, love to help you out with guests and all that kind of stuff. They want people there. They're yes, helpful. Rightfully so. They're they're desperate for attention because the team is not good. And from a big league standpoint, there's not any star power really. So it's the prospects coming up from the minor leagues or bust, so to speak. But yeah, the, the team is not saying, Hey, we'd really like it if Kevin Franzen and Bob Carpenter and Dan Colco stayed at Camden Yards. Yeah, let Franny do it from his house. Uh, he lives, lives in Delco somewhere. Like, or maybe he's on the Jersey Shore still for another couple of weeks. Let, let him just do it via internet via delay. Come on. But to clarify and just give you the specifics uh, on this report, this news was broken today from uh, an uh, Orioles reporter in Baltimore. Masson's contract with Comcast expires at the end of February. If a new deal is not reached, O's and Nats games will not be available for Xfinity customers, which is presumably a bunch of our listeners, I would think, in this area. I know that's what I had before I went to DirecTV, and uh, now I'm a YouTube TV guy. So I've got my own situation I have to figure out for opening day. I still don't know what I'm going to do. It shouldn't be like this, by the way. No, it shouldn't. It should be so simple. It's, it should, be, it so should be so easy. Also, I blame baseball a little bit, too, because I should be able to get MLB.TV at this point and just watch the Nats. The idea that all their games are blacked out because I'm in D.C., well, maybe in a perfect world, yeah, I should be able to have it. But when it's made so difficult for me to get it locally, maybe you could just charge me a little more. That's what I would. I get MLB.TV anyway. Anytime there's a no-hitter alert or something cool happening, I turn the game on. I'm watching four games a night on the little split screens, whatever. I, I love MLB.TV, but I don't get Nats games on it. They black it out. Which is such a crock of crap, too, by the way. I, all, all of it. Nobody's hands are clean when it comes to it. It's it, it's beyond frustrating. Again, like, I keep saying this, and I we're not victims. We're all fine. But when you move to D.C. and you're like, all right, now, you're going to compete in Major League Baseball, which is really hard to do. By the way, here's one hand behind your back, and you have to hop on one foot forever. Your offices are run by Major League Baseball. They're in trailers at RFK. The, t- the television rights are, are a, a hot mess on stilts. And you'll probably never be paid for those things. You have to be in court for the duration of your ownership. Good luck. Enjoy it. This is not a way to grow the fan base. And that's out of the Nationals' control, honestly. It is It is a disgrace is probably too harsh of a word. But it's a sports disgrace. It's ridiculous that, that this is as far down the line as we are in terms of coverage, in terms of networks, in terms of the capabilities, that this is where we are in the year of our Lord, 2024, everyone should be so ashamed. I want to pay off a tease, though. I told you that we would get into Kyle Shanahan's answer about some of his players suggesting they didn't know the overtime rules. This is what Kyle Shanahan said when he was asked about that yesterday. I mean, it's a pretty big deal, right? You go to overtime in the Super Bowl, guys are saying after the game, we weren't sure exactly how overtime was supposed to work. This is what the head coach said. Some of the players after the game said they did not know the rules, the new rules for overtime. And Brock just said that he kind of went to to Brian right at the start of overtime for kind of a refresher of, okay, these are the rules, right? It, was it important, do you think, for the players to know the, the, diff, the new rule as it pertains to overtime in the playoffs? Well, yeah, I mean, we we did say, I and mean, we told everyone as we were waiting for the coin toss, hey, review everyone with them, make sure they're sure before we go out. So we asked the position coach to do that, but no, I didn't cover it in a meeting on the Super Bowl week. I don't think that changes anything. Um, we did it with our analytics department. We decided that going into the playoffs. What, you know, I think you guys know how I've explained how I make decisions with that stuff in the past. I take all the information I can get. Um, 
especially ones I haven't been in. And um, our analytics felt that was the best way to go. But as you guys know, I don't always just go with that. Uh, I take into account what they say, what they think is right, and then I go off my gut in the heat of battle. And I knew what they felt going into it. And when I think about that during the moments I have to make the decision, I think the type of game it was did match what they felt was the best way to do. It did seem more like a field goal game. Um, and our defense had been out there for a real long time right before that. So uh, it was no, I didn't feel at all to override that at the time. So at the end of that answer, he's speaking to, again, why mm-hmm. he elected to take the ball first rather than to get the ball second, which people have taken issue with. But he said we had the position coaches going up and down the sideline making sure everyone knew the rules. He acknowledged they didn't talk about it leading up to the game, which I would say is a mistake, right? I mean, that's yep. probably something you should cover with your team before the Super Bowl, and you read and the Chiefs did, um, and you won't make that mistake twice. I don't think that's why they lost at all. To me, it's a weird kind of anecdote because it's not like they would have tried harder to score and or vice versa, tried harder to stop the oh, Chiefs. Oh, now we actually have to stop them. Yeah, I don't... The, the people that mattered in the decision-making all knew the rules, mm-hmm. um, and Brock Purdy knew the rules, who was had the ball in his hands on third down. Yeah, I, I think it's secondary, but I do understand maybe – a bit of a hubbub about it because it's more controllable than say a punt going off sure. someone's foot or yeah, guys should have known or, or an extra point getting blocked. But yeah, it's one of those things where you could control if who knew what, when, and you didn't, but I'm with you. It, the idea, if they'd known, I, I guarantee they're already trying to stop Kansas city from scoring that, you know what I mean? Like there's no, Oh, now we really have to try because of some rule that we know or don't know. Yeah. I don't really buy that double play next on G and D. What do you got coming up on our double play? I've been frauded or defrauded rather is the word oh, I've been boy. defrauded. Okay, uh, I've got something that has to do with um, heavy people in airplanes. We'll get into that next. In 13 minutes right here on Grant and Danny. We're giving away two tickets to see Nate Bargatze. He is coming to the district, and he will be performing at Capital One Arena. You want those tickets? You better be listening. 425, you're more excited about the offensive or defensive staff that Dan Quinn has put together. We were told he's going to put together a hell of a staff, and the hits keep on coming, including Anthony Lynn today, the run game coordinator from San Francisco, former head coach, and offensive coordinator in multiple stops. He is going to be the number three, presumably, coach on the staff. Brian Johnson, pass game. He's the run game. Cliff Kingsbury, the OC, uh, all on the offensive side of the ball under Dan Quinn. But it is time for our double play. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports. So recently I provided an update. Uh, I found this unbelievable sale from one of my favorite clothing companies. thought it was too good to be true. Well, it turns out it may have been the case, right? I clicked on a click, and then I linked on a link, and whatever, and I'm there, and I'm, I'm filling my shopping bag. I didn't go too overboard because I felt like it might be fraudulent, not too good to be true or whatever. So this is December, mid-December. I ordered uh, you know, a couple, a couple items, whatever. Doesn't show up, doesn't show up, doesn't show up in January. I email customer service February. I, I find the email in the, in the confirmation receipt. Email those folks again. Let them know I have it. Hey, here's my tracking number. Here's my order number. Here's uh, you know the the website for the for the package tracking information. Tells me it's arrived. It hasn't. What gives? What gives? What gives? No response from anybody. So finally, I call, then get put on hold, then try again. Do like this live chat with the actual clothing company that I thought 
it was. Does that make sense? So I went around the links that I was given to the original source. And within 14 seconds, the person was like, yeah, this is fraudulent. You got to call your bank. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Like, everything about this is a scam. We've, we know who these people are. We're trying to actively stop them in international courts. They're defrauding people just like you. Contact your bank immediately. When did you do this? This is yesterday. Was the ultimate moment. Why did you wait till yesterday when you did this in like early December? Well, it's not like I, I didn't sound like I was doing nothing the entire time. Well, sure. I, I, I send messages and I did customer service chats and a, a bunch of things. But you could have called them like way earlier, right? Whatever you did yesterday. I suppose in yeah. theory I could have. It, did, it didn't occur to me to do so. Uh, I probably should have, to be honest with you. But again, everything looks like two months was your line. You hit the wall. I suppose moment. like now I've had enough. As of <laughs> as of Tuesday, that's enough. Yeah. You know, Monday was fine. But it all looked like the real thing, in to such a high degree. Yeah, you got that. Got. The, oh, hundred percent. So I thought I'm actually doing that. Like in your mind, I don't know how to explain this the right way. But it's like let's say I'm, I think I'm emailing Grant and Company, right? And I send an email that Grant at Grant dot Company or whatever, and I'm emailing Grant and Company. And I don't get a response. I'm going, well, this is the official channel to contact Grant & Company. I call Grant & Company. Don't, I get the runaround. doesn't really work. Then I go to, like, I search for Grant's clothing uh, design or whatever. And I go to the original Grant somehow. That I superseded all the fake stuff and went to the original thing, which I didn't know that I had to do. I know that's not very clear. The long and short is, I was duped. I've been defrauded. I don't know what's next. I don't know if like I don't have a house when I get home. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm paranoid about it. I'm terrified. Good. Well, a couple of things. Number one, I hopefully it, nothing else happens. Right. Just right. keep a close eye on those. I mean, I've, I've now disputed the charge with my bank. Yeah. Be like this specific thing, and I've combed through. Nothing else crazy has happened at this point. I'm getting emails more and more lately where it's like your check in for your flight is coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't have a flight coming up. You know what I mean? Whatever that is. I got one last night where it's like. To confirm or cancel, but do it this. It could yeah. just be someone accidentally gave my email instead of their email, but I've just delete them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. click. I don't do anything. I'm just like, nope. This happens all the time where like, uh, sometimes it's like the meeting for the HOA is this week in Iowa, you know, and I, I'm like, what the hell is this? And, but it's probably just someone gave them the wrong email, but there's also a the little bit of me goes. That other thing. Yeah. Did I buy someone these tickets? Like, did they get these tickets? Honey, are we going to Iowa for any reason? I don't think that we are. Uh, Speaking of airplanes, it is time for my double play. Weighing yourself can be uncomfortable. Would you do it at the airport? That is the question via the Washington Post. Finland's national airline carrier, Finnair, is asking its passengers to step on the scales along with their carry-on luggage to record their weights at the departure gate as part of an effort to improve airplane balance calculations. So picture this. Here we go. You're getting ready to get on the airplane. They already have weighed your bag. They'll weigh your bag one more time, and then you'll step on the scale as well. I don't know if they're going to do it like my dad used to do on the boat, where he didn't want it leaning in one direction. So uh, you sit there. Now, Grant, you move over there. Uh Wasn't fun to be the guy that had to move, by the way, on the boat. Pretty obvious what you're trying to suggest. Why? Why do? We, how do we even this up, Dad? Do, do you want oh. someone else to move, Pops? No, no, nope. nope. just me. Okay. Just you, buddy. So they want to weigh passengers. They will then write your weight down. What I'm wondering is, do they seat you based on your weight? Like, if you're talking about the balance of the aircraft, I would think that that's a possibility. The program, it said in a statement, will be 
anonymous, voluntary, in an attempt to collect more accurate passenger data prevent the aircraft from exceeding a set maximum weight to ensure a safe takeoff. Have we had issues with this? I, I haven't seen those stories where the plane couldn't get into the like air because of all the fatties I don't like, like me that were sitting on the plane. I think that the planes have still gotten there. Now, the way I envision this is not that you know you're, they're going to flash your weight on a big screen. Uh-huh. So, you know, Mr. Paulson, and then I, everyone's watching, and I stand there, and I, you know the, the number flashes on the screen, and then everyone goes, Shame. Shame. <laughs> Shame. Ooh, Mr. Jones, 279. Tough prick. So the, let's go around the room. This might be based on, you know, how much you weigh, too. But we'll start with Ryan. Ryan, comfortable weighing in before your flight? Um, I mean, not all too comfortable with that just because it feels kind of unnecessary. Like, I feel like this is something that's been happening on forever. So, no, I'm not comfortable with it. Even though you're a skinny guy now. Yeah, even with- You have nothing to hide. Nothing really to hide, I guess. Okay, Danny. Yes. Yes. It's not about pride. Get me there. Whatever whatever we need for safety. I don't care about somebody's... But do we need it for safety? I have no idea. If, if you tell me... I have to take, I have to take my shoes off now. I don't know if that makes me any more or less safe. I will do it. No argument. Yeah, no we're just question. doing it. I also don't like doing the bit where I stand there with my hands over my head when they can definitely... You know, there's someone back they there. They can see whatever they want. Some things. They can see what they they're, want. They're making their jokes, I bet. He's not smuggling <laughs> anything onto this plane. <laughs> Depending on <laughs> what the temperature is in that airline, uh, in that airport. If it's chilly in the morning. It's under 90 degrees in here. What's going on? So, I mean, the, the difference being, like, I don't think they see your face. And so may, maybe, you know, this is. But, like, does someone not know I'm fat? You can see me coming, waddling down the airport with my rolly bag, you know? I, it's kind of a tell. I'm not hiding it very well. Ricky Gervais has such a great joke about this where he's like, every passenger's got 300-pound weight limits. You know, when, when you with you carry on in yourself, he used all, his all up with his stomach. You know, <laughs> like, like I, I, I think it's a pretty decent policy. Darius, how do we feel about weighing in before the flight? So, I mean, it does sound slightly embarrassing, but at the same time, like like you just mentioned, I, I know I'm fat. You see that I'm fat. What's the difference in me? Weigh- I'll go along with it if it means that do, I'm getting to my destination. Do you care any more? If it's just a like same as a doctor question, right? Random donk, dude, or or best best case scenario would be a, a big fat guy, because he's probably not passing a lot of judgment. Like I always feel more comfortable when I'm around huge people, because I'm like, oh, they're not looking down on me necessarily. But like, what if it's just a smoke? What if it's this gorgeous girl and it's a number she's never seen before? Yeah. So so th- so <laughs> in that case, you're not gonna have intercourse with her. <laughs> No, well, like you see what I'm saying. No, like the, the fact that I'm married and she's not interested—that's in my me point. Is so what? I'm not allowed to anyway. Well, uh, it, it's just a little more embarrassing. Would you? I, you're going to be asleep on the plane in 11 seconds anyway. You know what I mean? Like what? You're not. You'll be fine. I don't know. There's some numbers in there I don't love. She doesn't need to know. As you, long as the interaction is quick, I, you know, you'll never see that person again in your life. So what's what's the big deal? It's a great point. Where were yeah. we the other day where I said that? Someone was like, oh, those people are, oh, yeah. we were on, um, I was on Fremont Street in Vegas, uh-huh. and I was walking with a couple people, AWOD was with us, actually, oh, yeah. and there was this, like, Denny's or something, it was like 1.30 in the morning, you're not allowed to go in to use the bathroom, you have to eat there. Sure, pay the customer, sure, yeah. He was like, hey, you look at the sign, look at the sign. I just walk in, I'm like, you can follow me or not, went to the bathroom and started walking out, and he's like, the hostess, she was so upset, she was staring at you, and I said, the next time I'm going to see her is never. You know, like seriously though, so so she was upset. Sorry about your whoopsie lunch. daisy. 
Beltway Blitz is next on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.